BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, they called asking for donations to police charities. But how was the millions of dollars raised actually spent? We're answering the call of the HBO Originals documentary series, Telemarketers. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. We're back. Yep. Back twice a week Oh, now. is that what's happening? That's what's happening. You have to come back here on Thursday. Damn it. No more pre-recorded or rerun. I don't have to come back here you on must. Thursday. You must. You must. No, I just have to now edit you must. two you episodes must. a week. You must increase your bus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Judy Bloom. Also with us is private investigator, sir. Certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. Are you there, God? It's me, Are Laura you there, Bricker. God? It's, it's me, Laura Bricker, and um, my bust is just increasing. That's true. No, I'm just. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I don't know. I was doing that. I must. I must thing from. Don't you remember doing that? Yeah. Everybody does. I yeah. don't remember doing it, but I remember watching my sisters do it. <laughs> and finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, the world's biggest ER fan, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. I just found out before the show that Toby has never seen ER. Oh. What a surprise. (laughs) I saw that Leon Nafok tweeted that he's never seen ER. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that there probably is a whole bunch of people who've never seen ER who are just like a little bit younger than we are, Kevin. Yeah. Because, you know, it was on NBC and that is, you know, it was a network TV show. And that was one of those shows that you actually had to watch live, right? Yeah, like all television. Right. Except that that's not how it is anymore. Now they're streaming. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? DVRs so, on demand. Correct. Thing, yeah. But ER wasn't like that when it first came out. So I realized it's like a whole bunch of people. And I saw I tweeted about it. And then Toby was like, well, I'm one of those people. And I'm like, why am I not surprised? Did you ask Toby that question that was on the uh, the Internet? Which it's one? The, uh, oh, the Romans? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Toby. Do I think about the Roman Empire? Do you ever yeah. think about the Roman Empire, Toby? I, I do from time to time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. When the mood's right. Yeah. It's incredible. So, Lara, I don't know if you know this, but I learned on Twitter that men, and apparently exclusively only men, occasionally think about the Roman Empire just randomly. So, uh, wow. Why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, this was a thing that somebody tweeted like, 
ask a man in your life if they ever think about the Roman Empire and you'll find out that they do. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I haven't thought about it either since high school or since I last saw a movie in which the Roman Empire was the setting for said movie. But Gladiator. I'm, I'm like, that can't be true. So I turned to Kevin and just out of nowhere. I was like, Kevin, can I ask you something? Do you ever think about the Roman Empire? And Kevin goes... Yeah, I was just thinking about it the other day in the shower. <laughs> it's a cautionary tale, right? I mean, I went through a phase where I was watching a lot of like historical sort of graphic dramas when they were on like mm -hmm. various platforms, but that's that was not a few years the same as like thinking. I Claudius. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's not the same as thinking about the Roman Empire. It's not like watching like the other Boleyn girl. No. No, that's not even the Roman Empire. That's English. What? No, what am I talking about? Good God. <laughs> Game of Thrones. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not the same as just occasionally thinking about the room. Anyway, so if you're out there and you're a woman and you know any men, I would encourage you to do this test. Just turn to any man in your life and ask. Do you ever think about the Roman Empire and see what happens? It's just a very interesting question with a surprising answer. Um, and I don't know why. Toby, what should we ask women? Like some random thing to see if they're always thinking about. Uh yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. You ever think about um, dinner? Oh fuck you! <laughs> you know what I'm always thinking about? Well, like quantum physics or something. My cats. Oh, well, come on. Do you ever think about your pets? I think that would be pretty, pretty high. I'm thinking about nope, just my cats. They're Roman I, I Empire. do like <laughs> just coming up with the idea of men think about the Roman Empire. It's a pretty good observation, I think. Like, I wonder how they came up with that. <laughs> like, what about it? It's like, it's like, it's like, is it the togas? Is it the fact that it was just like dudes in charge? Is it like <laughs> the bacchanalia? Like, what is it that you would like joy about? Are, are we, are we really trying to, are we going to try and do a deep dive on this? No, or no. just kind of, is that a, uh. I mean, I thought guys just thought about sex. I don't know. And the Roman there's Empire. A of, there's a lot of sex back in the Roman Empire. <laughs> Toga. I don't know what books you've been reading. All right. So, Kevin. That's where um, uh, the, the Caligula movie came from. Oh, my God. Yes. about the Roman Empire and sex with Wait, horses. Wait, which Caligula movie? The one about the Roman Empire? The newer one that Roger Ebert called, like, the worst movie ever made. No, that's the same one. Right. The one that was... Uh, Produced by Bob Guccione. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. No, that's that's the original one. That's the um, yeah, that's uh, the Roddy McDowell one. Yeah. Okay, so from Kevin, the seventies. Yeah. So Kevin. Yeah. What are we talking about on Thursday's show? This is obviously Monday's podcast. On Thursday's show, we're going to talk about the Roman Empire. <laughs> that's right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Got we're a lot be, of thoughts. We're going to be meeting at eight o'clock, and that's V I I I on your sundial. Uh, on Thursday's show, we're going to talk about the girlfriends. It's a new podcast from my heart and novel. Okay. <laughs> and they do the not think about the Roman Empire yeah. hardly at all, as far as I can tell. We're meeting with the Colosseum. <laughs> the Colosseum. The Colosseum's got a lot of cats, too, which I think yeah. Laura Brecker would be How into. How can you not think of the Roman Empire when we always go thumbs up and thumbs down? It's like thumbs down to the gladiator. Ugh. Kill it. I suppose that's where that came from, I eh? I not interested. Yeah, but fun fact, um, in order to thumbs down would be save the, the gladiator. Thumbs up, actually, it's the opposite. Thumbs up was to kill him. Hmm. I feel like we could have like a whole dramatic reaction. There was no thumb sideways for the gladiators. No thumb sideways. Yeah, whatever. Huh. 
I, I was happens. I was reading some of uh, Roger Ebert's most scathing reviews this morning, mm-hmm. and one of them reminded me of things we said in this podcast. And it was like, it's like the people who made this movie have never seen movies before. <laughs> and I believe we've said yeah. on this show many times, it's like people who made this podcast have never listened to a podcast before. <laughs> or know what one is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would say it's like scraping the bottom of a barrel, except that would be an insult to barrels. Was another one of <laughs> okay. I anyway. might use some of those on Thursday. Yes. All right. Anyway, um, I think it's time to talk about what we're talking about. We're a few minutes into the show. So shall we get to it, Kevin? Let's do it. All right. Let's drop that first clip leading off. I worked at CDG for seven years and I never could have imagined I was part of the biggest telemarketing scam in American history. In 2001, teenager Sam Lipman-Stern started videotaping his eccentric co-workers at a chaotic New Jersey call center, which raised money for police organizations. When his friend Pat Pespis discovered Civil Development Group was keeping most of the donations, the pair hoped to expose the fraud. They couldn't live with 90% of the money. They wanted a they wanted 100% of the money and then lie to you where it's going. Though the feds took down CDG, Sam and Pat wondered why the police organizations were never held accountable for their role in the scheme. A decade later, the pair resumed their investigation, only to meet resistance at every turn. Why can't the government just stop this? Because police unions are incredibly powerful. The HBO original's Telemarketers follows the 'er ne'er-do-wells' quixotic attempts to shake up a billion-dollar industry. It also shows Sam and Pat's unconventional friendship from their wild days in the boiler room to their earnest demands for answers from police and politicians alike. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from telemarketers. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So first of all, Kevin, we need to talk about these phone calls themselves. Yeah. We get them all of the time. Not anymore, but yeah, we get them a lot. <laughs> oh, I, no. I just a, recently got one, one of you the, yelled at me because I was like talking to the guy. Remember? I yelled at yeah, you? Yeah, you're like, I do not that's remember. That's a scam. That's a scam. But I was so afraid that I was like, sure, I'll take the silver package. And then I just ignored the thing when it came no. in the mail. No, don't do that. Um, no, I don't even talk to them. That's the one that the cops always put out the warning about on like their I own. I know, yes. but, but they're so mean intimidating. the other cops. Yes, the real cops. The other cops, not the cops that are, you know. The real cops. Well, the I don't know the real cops. cops. But the cops that aren't, you know, getting any of that money, <laughs> they got some other scam. The ones chocolate. that don't, they don't have a social club. The ones yeah. that are putting out the warning. I actually recognize mm-hmm. one of the call when the robo calls, it starts off like when they pick up, he's like, oh, ho, ho. I was like, you know, I thought worse than my mother-in-law. There was some like mother-in-law joke in the thing. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Yes. And then I heard it again. Oh, of course. Yes. At least it's not from the uh, the the telemarketer who's been dead for two years. Yes, there's voice they keep and using. And we're jumping all over the place. But That's right. Yeah, That's got, right. Everybody's got those calls. But the point is, Toby, that these things, this whole industry thrives, right? Like it's like not quite illegal, maybe, right? Well, they're pushing right up against the line, I think, and the, the line keeps changing, and they push up against it, and I think cross over until somebody tells them to stop. It's just it's just another aspect of how sketchy the whole business is. Yeah. So, Laura, what did you think about the videos from inside the telemarketing center while Sam and Pat were working there? Well, I was just like, this can't be real. I'm always just sort of stunned when people 
to start recording themselves in these situations. I mean, like Keith Ranieri, Nexium, like same thing. Like you're always like, and who thought this was a good idea? But those not- are cults, though. I know these are cults. This is just a telemarketing center. But I mean, they were absolutely bonkers. And I could see some of them like, oh yeah, look at all this funny stuff we're doing, and they're recording it. But I think it really set the scene for the fact that we had very sort of rich portraits of the people that were working in this telemarketing center because we were getting this uncensored, unfiltered view into the personalities that were in there. You know, you got Pat, who's just openly using drugs and nodding off and then somehow still managing to get sales. He's really good at it. Really good at it. Yeah. He just kind of like wakes up just enough and then he (laughs) nods, which is pretty, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. You've got like people giving each other tattoos while they're in there. Not just tattoos. (laughs) Giving each other blowies. (laughs) You, you You can smoke a joint. You can drink a beer. They didn't care what you did. You sell, you're good. You don't sell, you suck. You know, I'm working at this place and I'm like, I have to document this. This is fucking insane. By the way, who was that? Someone filmed, like, there's a clip of, like, someone getting their pants unbuckled. Like, who was filming that? Sam? I guess. Well, you know what's incredible to me? So everyone there knows that they're doing fucked up shit and that they're getting away with crazy stuff. They all know that. And so they're filming it like with impunity and they're doing stuff because they know they're getting away with it. They're in this environment that's crazy. They know they're getting away with it. Now, this isn't quite the same thing. But I worked for this insane chain of pet stores when I was growing up on Long Island, which Mm. is not too dissimilar from New Jersey. No offense, either Long Island or New Jersey, but you both know it's true. And uh, I worked with a bunch of young people who were stealing from the store like crazy. Mm -hmm. When I first started working there, I was like 15 years old. And at the end of the day, the manager of the store would just hand out an envelope of money to everybody who worked there. And I was like, what is going on? And it turned out it was because every cash sale, they weren't using the register. They were just taking the money and they were giving it away to all the employees to keep us quiet. Right. Oh, And that continued from when I was 15 all the way until I was like 19 and no one ever said anything because we just thought like this is what's happening at every literally was happening at every store this is the way it operated and it was like a joke and I'm just like okay if I wanted to keep my job like I couldn't say anything right and I was just like and these people were crazy they were crazy and they were just like this they were taking pictures of it they were just walking out the store with stuff and they'd they like they turned into like nutty, nutty people. And there is an environment where you're in a thing like this is like the boiler room where it even it makes you even crazier. And like the stealing becomes the fun or something. I don't know. It's like the environment adds to it. But the, what's amazing to me is that these guys like they had the wherewithal to know at the time that like this is even worse because we're defrauding people and it's we're pretending to be cops and we should be doing something about it. And that's what's amazing to me about it. Do you think that's what was going on at the time, Toby? Do you think at the time that they were thinking this or do you think this happened like retrospectively where they were like, we have all this stuff? Because at the time, the, the way that they sort of present it was at the time they kind of knew they were doing something bad. Well, I thought there was like one moment where they kind of talk about like, there's some seriously sketchy shit. Let's get to the bottom of it. And then they sort of show them walking in. And, you know, I don't know if that was done post, but it seemed to me that after a little while, 
as much fun as they're having and stuff, it's just got to be fucking boring as hell. Like, even if you're on heroin, just to be like making phone calls again and again and again and again. So, like, let's get to the bottom of this shit. It seemed like kind of a natural thing for people who are just sort of doing this like crazy, repetitive, sort of soul destroying work. I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody's happy, right? I mean, everybody's having fun, but nobody's happy. And when they talk to the people who are who are out of it. So, yeah, I mean, my sense was that they had they had started this thing while they were still working there, uh, but clearly not as seriously. I mean, I think they would have been funny to catch some stuff on video that kind of caught somebody red handed or, or had some evidence of something. But I think it was more for laughs than it was for like genuine sort of change in laws or whatever. But then that came later. So Pat is obviously a central figure here, Kevin, right? And and a part yeah. of me wonders how much of this is that like Sam was so fascinated by Pat because he was older, right? And he obviously was like sort of an unusual person and a quite quite a character, right? But yeah. he is really the center of this this whole documentary in many ways. Yeah, he he becomes the emotional center of this for for certain. I mean, he has his own demons, right? But he, funny enough, he's not like mean to anybody. As as much as he kind of like can't get out of his own way, and he kind of bumbles through a lot of this. You just know he just isn't mean to people. Now, he doesn't have clean hands, right? Because he did do this, you know, telemarketing and he was good at it. And he eventually figured out what was going on and he still he still was doing it. But he's a genuine person. And I think you certainly you could see. Did Sam mention anything about like whether it was a dad in his life or did they talk about his family life at all? Because, you know, if you're looking for an older brother, quasi father figure and you run into Pat it would be a terrible mistake to look into him <laughs> to, f- to fill that role. However, there's just something kind of fascinating about him, whether just because he makes you laugh or not. Here I am. I threw a couple of pot seeds off the side of the road on a major highway, and it happened to grow by accident. Uh, I think you're minimizing it a little well, bit. Well, I am minimizing it a little bit, but 40, that's a... 48 pounds of pot seeds on the side of the road. Yeah, but that's a, a factory? Come on, get real. So, yeah, I certainly could see that maybe the original film, if there was one here, you know, that he was shooting and thinking of someday, it would just be about the crazy office place. It would be Clerks. It would be Clerks. It would be The Office. It'd be yeah. It'd be something. Yeah, Clerks is actually really good because that would that would be contemporary to this filmmaker. But as they go along and they find out, well, there's something here that maybe we could do something more about. I feel like in the end they probably realize, and this might be the influence of his cousin, who's like the legitimate filmmaker. Yeah. Everyone, they realize they're not going to blow the lid off of this story. So what's going to make it interesting is if we will just kind of watch Pat go along through this, Hmm. because otherwise there's no legitimate reason to have Pat be the one doing all these interviews and stuff. Well, except that Pat is that they they have him become a telemarketer again to see to like get back Mm -hmm. into it. Right, Laura. And isn't it incredible that like he's able to pick it right up? Like I found it incredible that he was still really freaking good at it even though he hadn't been doing it like well and even though when he was doing it he was so high all of the time that it's kind of remarkable that he can remember what happened pat you know i feel like i cringed a lot as i was watching pat and you know i was like oh god now he's got on i'm like oh what hat does he have on now like we've gone from the cowboy hat to the little 
you know, newspaper boy hat to the sunglasses. But you know what? You got to give it to the guy. He is just not giving up. And when you see him now getting back into just calling and getting into the telemarketing world and also answering the phone when these people call and questioning them. And when you're listening to him on speakerphone and you have that scene where they're like, wait a minute, it's so-and-so. And you know, that was somebody they used to work with, but Who's dead I mean, now? I, yeah, exactly. I, I think the scene with Pat that was really, I, I don't know. I mean, I felt like it was very sad. I don't know if it was a little bit inflated for the sense of trying to create some drama in this because there wasn't really any drama in sort of the narrative arc that they were going with was when they think he OD'd and died and they end on the cliffhanger, right? Hello, I don't- hey, do you know Pat Pespis, Patrick? I checked every corner of Plainfield. There is no sign of him. We went from this sort of quirky, bonkers video inside the thing to now the character who you're most... I wouldn't say rooting for, but the character that's got really the most compelling story now potentially overdosing and dying. But I felt like there was just such a real element of humanity to him throughout this with his sick wife that he's taking care of. And the fact that he's so, I felt like he was vulnerable letting the film crew into his house because he's clearly got some hoarding tendencies And you really get a really unvarnished, uncensored view into this man's life. And I think that's why, despite all of these things that make me cringe when I watch him, I'm also like, good for Pat. You know what I mean? Like, does anyone else feel like that? Yeah, I don't know what kind of energy Pat is putting off. But you know what? I got to say, Sam's energy. Sam is giving me vibes of pain Lindsay. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and start you know, filming stuff and whatever. And if you want to hear more about Toby Ball's conversation with Payne Lindsay, you got to get the after show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. We got all sorts of great stuff there. We have over 400 podcast episodes. Wait, you just teased and, something epic. Say, You mean Toby and Payne Lindsay well, got together? Well, let me get there. Okay. 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 Um, so we're going to be talking about on the after show this week, our trip, the three of us, Laura had to stay behind. But Toby and Rebecca and I, we all went to Denver for this industry conference called Podcast Movement. Also there was Payne Lindsay and Toby, the host of the Strange Arrivals podcast about UFOs and other things. Got to sit down with Payne Lindsay, host of High Strange, UFOs and Other Things, and sit down over a beer for the first time and talk UFO shit. And meet, like, and just talk. Oh, yeah. It, it was something. It was epic. I'm the only one who hasn't met Payne Lindsay. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. You Payne are. Lindsay and I uh, were a pretty mean bocce team as well. Exactly. Oh, it's true. <laughs> we played our, bocce. That's right. our asses. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, for the... So, if you're part of uh, Patreon, if you're at the $25 level, Toby will come to your house and play bocce with you. Yep. I will. Uh, but that's the deep dive level, and for deep divers, they're able to uh, watch Toby record his podcast. It's called Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby, you're getting together a week from today, Monday, to talk about your next book. Tell us what you're going to be discussing. It's called Beneath a Ruthless Sun, and it's by Gilbert King. Ooh, Who's ooh. that? Uh, of Bone Valley fame. Ooh. So I've got uh, Janet Varney uh, and Anita Cranford 
And Elon Green, who we just talked about last call, uh, which he was a producer on and wrote the book about, they'll be joining me and we'll be discussing this book, which is about a uh, sexual assault of uh, a woman in the late 50s in this uh, jurisdiction in Florida, which I guess is kind of near Orlando. And it's the sort of painting that he paints of this group of small towns and the sheriff who kind of like runs roughshod over everybody. There's a few chapters in there in the second part of the book that were as scary as anything I've ever read. Hmm. I mean, it's just really, he does a great job of just portraying the fear and violence in this little area in the middle of nowhere in Florida. So anyway, it should be a good conversation. Yeah, also we have uh, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Laura explores mysteries in her quaint AF town, and this time she's going to get along little doggy, right? Yeah, so we um, had the most recent Leave It to Bricker in which I learn how to round up the four cattle in the town next to Exeter on horseback. And I'm going to give a little teaser. Coming up in the September Leave It to Bricker, Mm -hmm. um, we will have my most wild experience yet. Uh Uh-oh. When I had goats come to my garden to eat the poison ivy. Nice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not a that, metaphor. That really happened. That really happened. It really happened. I didn't get permission from my condo board. I just did it. Nice. Oh. Wild. That's in like goat poison ivy poop. All right. <laughs> so if you want all of that great stuff, you just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Sign up. You'll get over 400 exclusive podcast episodes. Wow. All right. So, Kevin, does that send the business section? Thus sends the business section. All right. Let's get back to the show. I'm going to fade that music out right now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Mientras crecíamos, vimos a nuestros papás siempre ordenando la casa. Now that we have our own, entendemos la importancia de mantener una casa limpia y ordenada. One that makes you proud. Por eso puedes contar con IKEA. IKEA knows that having a place for everything makes it much easier to maintain a happy home and your peace of mind. When you shop at IKEA, cada dólar rinde más. Visit your nearest IKEA store to find the best storage solutions para tu hogar. So, Toby, once they get going on this investigation, Sam and Pat actually try to make some headway and, like, dig into stuff. What do you think of, like, the general success or failure of what they're doing. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they do not yet know that they have sold this documentary to HBO and that, that is, they're not able to tell people that as they're interviewing them for this documentary, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that the big change happens in the third episode when, you know, he gets hooked up with his cousin who's actually in the film business and that seems to kind of bump things up a little bit. Uh, but up until then, you know, I... <sighs> 
I think one of the really interesting things about this whole uh, documentary series is like we don't normally see people like this making documentaries that get on HBO, right? People who are not wealthy are working like this very sort of depressing, low paying job that really gets people who have nowhere else to go. So the idea that they would somehow have the resources to like blow the lid off the whole thing seems a little unrealistic, but instead what they're doing is trying to get to sort of what's the truth behind what they've been doing sort of on a day-to-day basis for, you know, months or years. And to that extent, I think they do a pretty good job. Like, I don't know if they, how much they knew before they started this, but the idea that they are able to expose at least to the viewers, this sort of universal thing that, that most Americans have, which is to get these calls. And it's always like, wow, is this a cop on the other, you know, is it kosher if I say no? And then they, you hear them talking. It's like, oh shit, that's exactly like what the guys who call are like. So it's the same guys, right? Exactly. So exposing that both for themselves and sort of understanding what exactly our job has done, and then exposing it for the people who are now watching it on HBO. It's a pretty universal thing that happens in our country, and. I was always like somewhat suspicious, but I had no idea. And now we're sort of being shown this. You can't really, after the first five minutes, if you think you're going to see people's like heads on a block when this is over, like you probably have unrealistic expectations uh, given the resources they have. Like even at the end, even when it seems like it's it's getting a little injection of money because they're getting in like plane flights, like it's still like they're just driving around. I mean, the, the, it's not like they have a big crew or whatever. It's still a pretty small operation. So I thought they did a good job given what could plausibly happen. And I think that their intentions were certainly right. And the idea that you would be willing to sort of stand up to the people who are running your industry is good. I mean, I think where it kind of like grinds to a halt for them, unfortunately, is that nobody kind of talks to them about when you're dealing with people who actually have real power, like how do you interact with those people? And I'm thinking about the, especially the scene with um, Senator Blumenthal and it's just clear that nobody has been like, this is how you do it. Right. Like they just go in there, like they're just talking to like somebody who they get on the phone and that, you know, it's just a non-starter. So that whole thing fizzles. And I think Blumenthal is supposed to look badly in this, but in fact, I think the people who are doing what, I mean, they didn't have people doing advance work, but if they had sat down with somebody, they would have been like, who knew Congress would be like, look, you got to talk to a staff person. You got to be succinct. They don't want you to be talk, telling all these stories that make for good for a documentary, but aren't good for, you know, trying to get legislation passed. Right. Well, I think there, Toby, that he probably became suspicious halfway through this where they have all these cameras set up, but they weren't asking any questions. Right. So it wasn't like all of a sudden, like an interview. I'm sure Blumenthal felt like, I'm I'm being set up for some kind of trap here. Yeah, is but, it some sort of like weird? Yeah, I'm I'm walking into thing. a gotcha thing right. about whatever this because is. Because again, and, they don't yeah. know they've sold the thing to HBO at that point. They don't. Well, maybe, there's maybe. no way. There's no way they do. This is the kind of thing where like it goes out to market after it's made. And well, then, they had quite a few people there for that that setup, right? It, it wasn't like an episode of Catfish, but, right? But regardless, regardless, that's that's not really the point at all. I mean, it's that they really are bumbling, but. They do make headway, and they don't really make a, like a like you said like big headway. They're not going to turn the industry upside down, 
It's like, what do they do? They go like, okay, we're going to drive to Texas and we're going to spend all this money, all this time. And when we get there, we're going to find the union guy we're looking for and yell at him as he gets in his car. And that's it. Oh, there he is. No oh, shit. Yeah. Quick, 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 quick. Let's leave the food. It's right across the street. <laughs> go, 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 go. go. Mr. Lozano. <laughs> Mr. Lozano. Hi, excuse me, Mr. Lozano. You're like, that, what does that do? What did that do? You know, and we're going to go to the conference while everybody's there. And uh, as soon as we have our first interview, we're going to walk out of the hotel room and walk around so everybody can see we're here with cameras and see what happens. But uh, that was so embarrassing when he had the wrong name. Oh, yeah. But sometimes they do ask good questions in those interviews. They say, but what about the cops? But when they get people well, to say the cops are untouchable. Yeah. No well, one wants to mess with cops. Here are the two things that I think that they, they actually did get okay we already know that the call centers were getting 90 keeping 90 percent of the money and we're like oh that's the that's the big crime only 10 percent goes to the cops but they're the first ones to ask and explore what is really going on with that 10 percent it's not going to the things that they say it's going to either because they show us this chicago cop who got shot and they were raising money for him and he never got any of it so like okay that's interesting. And also the idea that maybe these cops are in certain places, they sign these deals, not because 10% and nothing's better than 100% and well, whatever the hell it is. It's because they're getting a kickback. They're like, okay, you sign this, you'll get the first $15,000 yourself. So they never really got to prove that, but they did sort of advance some of these ideas, but that's as much as they're going to get. Toby's right. If you're waiting to see like somebody get their comeuppance at the end, it's not going to be there. So instead, this is more about their journey as opposed to their destination. Right. But certainly, I don't think anyone can watch this and ever, ever think any one of these phone calls from a from a fire department or a cop oh, yeah, yeah. is ever legitimate ever again. And that is not nothing. So, Laura, right. though, along the way, there is some crazy shit. And in one detail we cannot not talk about is all of the covert sources. <laughs> the the oh, guy yeah. with the distorted voice on the phone, the I guy that they that interview guy. in person with the distorted voice. What do you think about these covert sources that they get to talk to in this investigation? Oh my God. I just loved it because it felt so over the top to me because it was like, yeah, I used to work in the telemarketing industry. <laughs> and it was like, they just went so overboard with the way they disguised it. And I like, you know, the guy who's from the other telemarketing company and he's like, find the murderer. And you're like, oh my God, like what is going on? And then you, you find out that there's this other guy is like received, you know, when they're talking about what they used to do, $80,000 from one elderly man in like four months. But I thought that added like a nice element of intrigue to this, that we had these people, but also that they sort of set up despite the fact that like, for me, once I get over the like, oh my gosh, this is absurd that this is, this is so deep throat how the civic development group basically paved the way for all of the other telemarketers and and people that were doing this sort of I'm going to just say scamming because uh, yeah. I consider it's a it, scam. I consider it, I consider it scamming uh, that followed and how this was sort of like the first and this paved the way for what was to follow. Uh, but you know, I just thought between that and then we also have the guy who like I and when they were like. You got to hire the junkies because like the junkies know how to make the deals or whatever they said. Like it was something random like that, right? Like about how like the, the people that were drug users, like they, they knew how to hustle and they knew how to talk people into anything because this is this. So we had that guy who was like walking down the street. And I have to say that was quite impressive. The guy that was on his cell phone 
walking down the street. And I, I was like, wow, he is just like right off the top of his head, just bing, 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 until his phone battery died. We give you a very good. Not that this makes you independently wealthier, a multi-billionaire overnight or anything, because you help us. Fuck, my fucking battery died. My mother fucking battery died. That guy was fucking solid, bro. That was a goddamn sale. But you know what? They weren't wrong when they were like, this this type of salesperson is going to hustle because then he found somewhere to charge his phone and called back and completed the deal. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, you know, so I thought I thought there was some really interesting portraits of the people that were connected to this industry in this documentary. Um, but like when you were saying about the ending, like to me, the ending just it fell a little bit flat. And I, I know there wasn't really another outcome, but I don't know if anyone else felt like all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's over. Hmm. Like they come, they bring Pat the picture. He hangs it on his wall. It's over. Hmm. I, I kind of felt like that was part of the point. Though, exactly. Right. Well, I, mean, it's I, like, I just felt like unsatisfied by that. But it's, you know, it's showing the limits of what, of, of what you can, what you can do. I mean, the alternative to this as an expose, right. What we're used to seeing is like 60 minutes mm-hmm. and like th- they've got such leverage that they can get CEOs on and freaking put, put them in the corner. And because they have something to fear from from these big news operations. These guys don't have any leverage at all. They're just two guys who happen to work at this place that's super sketchy. They do now, and they're though. Like, they have and the leverage like, now. Oh, now they now do they, they do. Yeah. But yes. before th- there are things on fucking HBO. What are you talking about? Everybody is going to watch this thing, and everyone's yeah, talking about like it. Season two, they can probably really put the screws to somebody. But <laughs> yeah. at the time, at this time. Like, there's no reason for anybody to talk. Like, I couldn't believe that that cop from Texas was willing to talk to him. Like, it made, I mean, I think he was like, well, I'm just going to fucking get out in front of this because a bunch of people are about to go down. But, like, why he thought getting in front of it with them, with Sam and Pat, was going to, like, help him in any way uh, is, like, ludicrous. But at the end, like, the fact that they don't, they don't get any, like, big scalps. That's part of the point. It's like, that's not the way, unfortunately, our, our country works is that people in their situation can't take down guys who've got a ton of money. And I think somebody even says that at one point, it's like, if you have enough money in this country, you can get away with anything. Yep. And that's, you know, that's a lesson until you meet somebody who's got more money and then they can screw you. Yep. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. 
All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Telemarketers as an HBO Originals documentary series? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Telemarketers? I thought this was super interesting. I'm, I'm going to go thumbs up with this because right off with the first episode, I have to say I was hooked by the fact that we had film from within Telemarketing Center from something that I think most people here can relate to have gotten a phone call about from the Police Police Benevolent Association or the police organization, fraternal organization that uh, puts out phone calls. Uh, So we have some really candid video inside. I think we have a really interesting pair of people at the helm of this with Pat and Sam. Uh, Sam, who was a 14-year-old dropout who went to work at the company, and Pat, who is now at this point in recovery um, when he is going out to investigate. They're sort of on the quest to expose what they were a part of. And I just... I thought it was just uh, really unique. Uh, We watch a lot of true crime documentaries and media, and I just thought this was, uh, the first episode was more entertaining to me, but as it went along, it was was definitely uh, food for thought. And I certainly hope that this documentary, now being out there in the world, will get some notice and maybe raise awareness of what's actually happening, uh, which is what they were hoping to do. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for telemarketers? Yeah, I like this a lot. It's interesting on a whole bunch of levels to me, uh, but it's, you know, it's essentially two guys working at a job that is really sort of very low on the totem pole of jobs and deciding we want to find out what this business is really about because it seems pretty sketchy. And you kind of follow their efforts and they're not professional investigators. They don't have journalism backgrounds. It's just these two guys who are like, let's let's try and figure this out. And they figure a fair amount out. But you also get to see like there's a ceiling, right, to what normal average people can do as far as finding out secrets about large multi-million dollar companies. Like there, there are dead ends that or it's not really dead ends, but there's there's a ceiling to where you can go. So I, I thought for all those reasons, and then I think that the the two main guys, uh, uh, Pat and Sam, are both very appealing characters. Uh, Pat, in particular, is a real character, and I think it's 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 just uh, to me, I found it I found it interesting and kind of rewarding to see these guys kind of try and hold to account the industry that they worked on and saw like the real depths at which it operated uh, to kind of get some kind of personal redemption through this, this process. So anyway, I I really liked it. I I give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. I think people should check it out. Kevin Flint. I'm a thumbs up. Uh, This is really about these two characters here, Sam and Pat and, you know, saying it lovingly, they're a pair of dopes. They uh, were these misfits who were working in this call center the whole episode about what was happening back then and the hijinks that ensued inside were very entertaining. But as we go along, we find out, hey, there's more to these call centers here than we think. Unlike in Scam Likely, that podcast where we know those call centers from India, everything's fabricated, that they're working with just a little bit of truth and with the imprimatur of these police organizations you know, the people being called are getting ripped off, not just once, but twice. So they're really tilting at windmills trying to prove this. 
these guys here, one one guy who'd been making foot fetish videos and another guy who doesn't own a comb but does own a, a blue check sports jacket and a new cowboy hat. And it's like, these are the guys that are going to blow the lid off this billion-dollar industry. Do they do it? I won't spoil it. I'll let you figure it out for yourselves. But it's a really interesting journey, and I think that's really what it's about. It's about their experience looking into this as opposed to whether or not they're able to prove what they think they know. For me, I'm a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a huge thumbs up for this. And I actually disagree with you, Kevin. I think that they prove it in space. Um, I think that they actually expose one of the best examples of predatory capitalism in terms of a scam, in terms of something that is is actually sort of on the just the, this side of legal that is disgusting that you will ever, ever see and that you have experienced. By the way, you're not just getting calls about fake police organizations, by the way, that are fake. You're also getting calls about fake fire department organizations where they will sort of imply uh, when you get these calls that you will get better service from your fire department if you make one of these donations to your fire department. I've gotten those calls myself. But not just fake organizations. I know that. It's the it's the real police organizations. Right. But they also make up names that sound an awful lot like names of organizations that could exist in your community, but actually don't. And all those little signs you see on businesses that I you know gave to this organization or that seem endorsed by certain police organizations, it's because these businesses feel like they're being shaken down <laughs> by these fake ass organizations. Anyway, it is an incredible exposure, an incredible actually look into this industry. And I also think that the subjects here, both the filmmaker and Pat, uh, the subject that he decides to capture doing this investigation with him, I think that they treat themselves and each other with a tremendous amount of dignity. And it could be a situation where we're looking at a couple of sort of buffoons stumbling through the world. And it's not that. Um, It's actually a really, really lovely, lovely portrait of Pat in particular and his life in particular. And this is somebody who's really had struggles, too, that a lot of Americans, I think, will really be able to relate to when they watch this. This thing works on so many levels. It's sad. It's funny. It's rage inducing. It's fascinating. I really, really recommend people check out telemarketers on HBO. There's nothing else like it out there right now. And uh, it's totally worth watching. So huge thumbs up for me. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call. The crime, crime of the week. Of the week. <laughs> Emily Ben Schoder has flipped her wig over her new employer's corporate dress code. Emily was hired over the telephone for a hostess position at an unnamed restaurant. When she reported for duty, she was told her long pink colored hair violated the policy. But they had a solution. She could just wear a wig. So Emily began showing up to work in wigs, some of the most ridiculous, ugly wigs she could find. She apparently took one of everything from the Halloween store, including heavy metal singer, sumo wrestler, and Ken doll. One day, she'll come in looking like George Washington. The next, she's Guy Fieri. She might show up looking like Peggy from season one of Mad Men, or she looks like Janet from season four of Three's Company. Emily's received hundreds of thousands of views on TikTok. No word if that restaurant chain is changing its policy, But as far as we're concerned, we don't care what color Emily's hair is, as long as a strand of it doesn't end up in our never-ending soup, salad, and breadsticks. Mm -hmm. So, panel, this employee obviously took issue with the company dress code. What part of the Partners in Crime Media corporate dress code do you take exception to? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I mean, Kevin clearly takes issue with having to wear pants, but... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I think I'm going to start a new trend and I'm going to just be like Flat Toby when I log in next week. All right. Because he's Flat Toby hasn't made an appearance lately. And I think that needs to be part of the Partners in Crime dress code. So you have an issue with being three dimensional, I guess is what I'm hearing. You say. Yeah, I want to be flat. All right. What do you think, Toby? What part of the Partners in Crime Media corporate dress code do you take most exception to? I wish the management would allow me to wear pants. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? It's not that having to like wear the pants or not wear the pants. It's just that when I don't wear them, I'm not allowed to put a towel down. Ew. And I wish you would put a towel down. What I wish you would do is just put a screen between us. Oh, so I don't have to see it. I don't want to have to see I mean, see, it. see them. I'd just like to thank you for wearing pants today because the angle of our uh, Zoom oh, camera yeah, yeah, yeah. is... Uh, is it a little different than it usually is? It is. It's pointing down in a way that would be very unpleasant for you. All right. That's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, folks want to find you on social media and say hi. How can they find you online? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. What about you, Toby Ball? How can you be found on social media? I'm at Toby Ball NH on X. And I am. Oh, it's at, fucking Twitter. At Toby Ball 603 on uh, Threads. What about you, Kevin Flynn? How can you be found? Oh, bother. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me everywhere on all the social media, especially the ones that I don't post to, because I still do like post on Twitter mostly, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter and X and everywhere else at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Raiders on Facebook discussion group. Just go to regular Facebook, look for us, hit join the group. We'll let you in if you can even name one of us. That's literally the criteria for getting into the group. Not everyone can. I know. Get episodes early and ad-free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll also get the Crime Raiders on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very special Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also will send you a sticker if you support us at the platinum level. Right? 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 Uh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you. I'm calling from the lodge. Later. <laughs> We didn't even talk about that that woman who was like, I like and not just the front. Oh my God. <laughs> That's right. Do you even call Forgot that No, I think she was talking about but uh Oh, I think she likes getting her just yeah. getting her Yeah. She had five minutes on camera and that was one of the things she wanted to get across to America. That's yeah. right. That's right. She had no idea. If you don't I'm not interested. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.